If you have your copy of the Word of God, I want to invite you to open up to the epistle of Colossians. Colossians in the New Testament, one of Pauline epistles that we have. And as we uh, have just finished our time in Advent, walking through Isaiah, uh, we had a, I had a great time walking through Isaiah. And we are about to go back into the Gospel of John and continue in our study walking through John. But before we do, I, I wanted to take an opportunity to, uh, to challenge us in a way um, that I've not done before. And that is specifically regarding biblical stewardship. Uh, biblical stewardship. And so the title of today's message, as you see on the screen, is Living According to the Will of God, the Foundation for Biblical, or Foundation of Biblical Stewardship. And so over the next uh, three or four weeks, I, I would like for us to walk through a couple of passages in Scripture so that we can see God's challenge to us for biblical stewardship. And before we get back into our study in John, I, uh, I believe this is a great time for us to look and to think about biblical stewardship. And so as 2013 kind of comes to a close, one of the things that I personally do and I, I pray that you will do is you'll take a moment and take an opportunity to just kind of reflect over the past year. Maybe conduct a, uh, a, a self-spiritual inventory of your relationship with God as you kind of prepare and plan to go into 2014. As we close out this year of 2013 and look forward to 2014, I wonder as we evaluate our relationship with God over this past year, uh, what we walk away with. What are, some, uh, what are some areas in our life where God has done some great things what are some areas in our life where we need to, uh, we need to submit to God and, uh, and, and, and learn from Him? And so I, I want to focus first on just challenging you to think hard, think carefully about those areas where God has granted you victory in walking with Him in your relationship with Christ. And I say that first because personally it's, it's much easier for me to find all the negative things, the things that I've done wrong, the things that I've fallen short in the things that I've failed in. And so I want to challenge you in that specific way to think hard about the areas where you have seen victory in, spirit, in your spiritual life, where you've grown in the grace of Christ. Identify those areas and thank God and praise God for them. But also, as you look forward to 2014, I'm sure, in, and as you're reflecting on maybe 2013, you'll come up with some areas of weakness and Identify some of the areas where you need to grow spiritually and some of the things that you need to maybe surrender to God in. Maybe there's a battle that you've been struggling and you've not had the power or the strength from the Holy Spirit to overcome temptation or, or to, to, to see victory over that sin in your life. Maybe it's a besetting sin or maybe it's simply being more committed to walking in discipline and, and serving the Lord more faithfully. Uh, whatever area the Lord would challenge you to submit to Him in, or multiple areas where we find ourselves needing to grow in our relationship with Christ, I would encourage you, as you approach 2014, maybe to set those as some, uh, some, some spiritual goals or some spiritual benchmarks. You know, we make many New Year's resolutions, right? Most of them having to do with perhaps dieting or eating better or healthier living or exercise. I want to challenge you to think about your spiritual life this morning and perhaps make some New Year's resolutions as God would have it to draw closer to Christ, to walk more faithfully following 
him. And so this morning as we approach this passage in Colossians 1 verses 9 through 14, I I pray that this text will serve as a plumb line for us so that we might orient our lives around the command or the the, kind of the, the theme of this text. And so I would challenge us this morning, let's consider, let us consider how to grow in the knowledge of God's will for our lives as this passage challenges us. Let us consider all things in our lives and leave no stone unturned when it comes to submitting everything to God as we begin this new year. So that we might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, so that we might follow Him in in passionate pursuit of living for Him and living for His glory. One way maybe of doing this is even as we consider these New Year's resolutions would be uh, as we'll challenge you over the next uh, couple of weeks to, to accept this challenge of, of even reading through the Bible in a year. Uh, spending time daily in God's Word to uh, read through the Bible and, and let God's Word sink in deeply in our lives. Exercising discipline and in walking with Christ and, uh, and following Him. Over the next several weeks, I I want us to consider this idea of biblical stewardship, this topic of biblical stewardship. But this morning, I think this passage is really a foundation for us being able to walk in biblical stewardship, being able to to live consistently at a place where we we are being good stewards of all that God has entrusted to us. You know, oftentimes when we hear the word biblical stewardship, we tend to go directly to the finances of, of, of what we give to church, maybe the tithe or the offering that we bring before the Lord. But, you know, biblical stewardship is so much more than just our tithe and offering. Biblical stewardship is living for God in such a way where we, we look at all of life, everything that He has entrusted to us. It means to manage that which God has entrusted to us. In such a way that it brings him honor and to bring him glory. And so biblical stewardship would look at, at what scripture commands of us and teaches us in, in regard to how we live for him. It regards our, our time, all of life. It, it regards our gifts, our works, our finances, our family, our employment, our employees. It, it involves our marriage, our parenting, every aspect of life. We're challenged and held responsible and accountable for the Lord to be good stewards with what? God has given us. And so as we look at this passage this morning, beginning in verse 9, I don't want to be so general that we miss the importance of having a right biblical perspective. But today I want us to see kind of a a broad brushstroke of the foundational element for biblical stewardship, managing what God has entrusted to us. And so in Colossians 9, uh, Colossians 1, 9 through 14, If you found your place there, say amen. Follow along as I read. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As we look into this passage, I think first we we need to see that there is hope for all believers. There's hope for all believers, all who trust in Christ. There is hope for them who, who, who found their lives or, or plant their lives upon God and, and trust Him and follow Him and live for His glory. Verse 9 speaks, speaks about having hope and speaks about being filled with the knowledge of His will And so the question I would ask us to consider this morning is, what are we being filled with? As a believer, you and I, as we go through our day-to-day routine and go through life, what are we being filled with? You know, Paul's prayer for the Colossian church, for those in Colossae, is that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. He desires to see, and his greatest desire and prayer is that the people of Colossae would be filled with uh, with knowing God's direction, knowing His will in their life. In fact, He says, so that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You know, this ought to be the desire for every believer here this morning. Ought to be the desire for every believer who has experienced the transforming power and the work of Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It ought to be our desire that we would be filled with the knowledge of His will. You know, this communicates the idea of, of, of that thing which a believer is, or which a person is filled with, that's going to direct that person, is going to control that person. In other words, if a person is filled with a love for money, well, that's going to direct that person's life. If a person is filled with, with an addiction, well, that's going to direct that person's activities and that person's life. If, if a person is filled with lusts, then that's going to direct his or her life. It might be lust over impurity. It might be lust and greed of coveting and wanting something that we don't have. But think about it for a moment. That's, that's what Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying. That which our lives are filled with Those are the things that we long for, that we want for. Those are the things that control a person. And so if a person, it goes to say, if if a person is filled with the knowledge of God's will, guess what that person, what that believer is going to long for? We're going to long to walk in the will of God. We're going to long to follow Him and, and live according to His will. Well, where do we learn the knowledge and the will of God. I, I think it's clear. We, we learn from Scripture. We learn from God's Word. We learn as we submit our lives to God's Word, particularly through reading God's Word and, and hearing God's Word preached, sitting in, and participating in Bible study. We, we learn God's Word as we submit ourselves to Scripture. And then we're to prayerfully consider and meditate upon God's Word and how we might walk in it. And the point isn't that we would be a people who are driven by pragmatism, but that we would be a people who rely on the Holy Spirit, that we would turn to God and that we would seek to learn from Him and hear from Him. That's why he says to be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
Here's what spiritual wisdom does. It discerns the truth of Scripture. And understanding while they're closed, it, it simply takes the truth of Scripture and it teaches us, the Holy Spirit teaches us, He teaches us how to apply it to our lives. We see the truth of Scripture, and as we grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding, we take God's Word, and we learn it, and then we we begin to apply it to our lives. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit, by the illumination of the Holy Spirit, by God's wisdom being given to us through His Holy Spirit. And so here's the hope for the believer, that we can know the will of God, and we can walk in it. We can know the will of God and He has given us His Holy Spirit to teach us and to instruct us and to lead us. And because of this, we have a love for the Word of God and we have a willingness to hear and submit to the authority of Scripture. And all of this working together brings about a dependency and the desire for me as a believer to live according to the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. The prayer of the Apostle Paul should be ours as well. That knowing and living according to the will of God would be the ever-increasing measure by which we orient our lives. In 2014, as, as Dr. David said a moment ago, that we would look more like Christ this year than we did last year. That we would continuously orient our lives around this central truth, knowing the will of God and living according to the will of God. Because here's what happens. It communicates back to God that we submit to His sovereign rule and ownership of all things. It communicates back to God and accepts the trust of responsibility that He has given us as ambassadors for Christ. And it places us in a position of accountability before God. And as those who are, who are accountable to God, we're accountable for serving Him in His kingdom with the gifts that He has entrusted to us as believers in Christ, as His children. And then it puts us in a position of, of bringing about the, the promised reward for all those who have longed for Christ's appearing all those who have looked forward to and loved His appearing. That's why I say this is the foundation for biblical stewardship. Because we begin with a recognition that God's gracious work is provided for us in Christ and it commands our complete devotion and allegiance. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? If we're, if we're going to live according to His will, that means we need to be completely surrendered to Him. We need to be seeking to know Him, know His direction for our lives. We need to be seeking to follow after Him. And that requires that we will spend time in God's Word. It requires that we spend time in prayer. And so we see, skip down to verse 12, we see this uh, Paul saying that we, we ought to be giving thanks to the Father for the opportunity or that we can know the will of the Father, that we can know His will. Verse 12 says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Paul says we as believers ought to live a life of thankfulness. He uses tender language here to talk about the relationship between a father and, and his child and seeing the gracious heavenly father who looks upon his child with favor. And there are three points that, he, that, that are the result of the work of the father and his grace toward us. And the first one is that he has qualified us. 
You see that in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This word qualified, it's only used two times in the New Testament. And this is one of those two times that it's used. And it means that God himself has made us sufficient. He has made us to fit. In other words, there's nothing that we could do to earn his favor or to earn this inheritance. We can't make ourselves acceptable or worthy of this kingdom. What God has done in Christ is he has qualified all those who believe in him. He has qualified us to have and be part of this inheritance. But not only has he qualified us, it says he's rescued us from the domain of darkness. And as he's rescued us from this domain of darkness, it means that that he has drawn us to himself. He has pulled us out. He has taken action to come to our rescue and to save us from the authority and the power of, of darkness. He has rescued us. From the domain of darkness and the domain of domain of darkness is the the kingdom of Satan. God has come and he's qualified us. He's made us acceptable. He's made us fit and he's he's taken us out of the kingdom of darkness. And here's what he's done. He has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, who is Christ. In the work that God has done through Christ, Christ coming he has, taken, he has taken us and He has moved us from being in bondage and sin and darkness. And He has transferred us now to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Son. And God, by His grace, has, has moved us. He has taken action to rescue us and to, to transfer us to this kingdom of His Son. We have been moved from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of Christ. How has that happened Well, he tells us there at the end of verse 14, it's happened through redemption and forgiveness of sin. Redemption is that work that Christ has done in purchasing for God through his own blood, those who believe in Christ. And so Christ himself became the substitute in our place. And so his work on the cross that he did and Paul goes on in chapter 2, verse 15, to say, When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. It was Christ who canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us that was hostile to us. And so Christ, when he redeems us, he purchases us. He gives us eternal life. He gives himself in our Place so that we might have eternal life. And he redeems us. And as he redeems us, verse 14 also says that he has granted us forgiveness of sins. His redemption has granted us forgiveness of sin. That is, he purchased our sin debt and he liberated us from condemnation of sin. And what Paul is saying, it's because of this transforming gospel that we can be filled with the knowledge of his will. We can be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is what we sang about a moment ago. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. It's God who is holy. And because of the work that Christ has done in redeeming us and forgiving us of our sin, now we can come into holy God's presence. Now we can be part of the children of God. We can have the blessing and the favor of God the Father. 
And so there is hope for all believers. There is hope for those who trust in God. When we are filled with the knowledge of God's will, we can live according to God's plan and live out his perfect plan in our lives. Doesn't mean that we will be perfect and be sinless, but it means that our life will be oriented around this standard of being filled with the knowledge of God's will. Well, secondly, this morning, I want us to see that not only is there hope for all believers, but we are called to live righteously. As believers, we are called to live righteously. And this is really found in verses 10 and 11. But this call to righteous living, it it means living according to God's known will, or maybe we should say his revealed will, because we're talking from verse 9 about being filled with the knowledge of his will. And when Paul says that they would, he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will, he doesn't just mean a, a head knowledge, okay? He doesn't mean just to know what God desires us to do, but yet not live in it and not do it. No, he, he means that we would live it out, that a knowledge of God's will would meet uh, the, the very practicum of our daily lives, the praxis. And so our knowledge of God's will for us would be matched by the way that we live. This would be the opposite of, of being hypocrites, right? We, we, know what God desires to, we know what God desires us to do, and we walk in it. We live in it. We live according to God's will. And as believers, I, I, know, I know that each of us walk through times where we are challenged. We're challenged to choose. I'm challenged to choose Nick's will over God's will. I'm challenged to walk in my own way instead of walk and follow in God's way. And hear hear the prayer of the Apostle Paul for the church there and what ought to be our prayer, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You see, the believer is called to live righteously. And that's, that's not just some trite phrase. Righteous living is the call of every believer in Christ. And righteous living means first, living according to God's known will Righteous living means living according to knowing what God desires. And so in the everyday activity of our lives, it means that we're living for the express purpose of bringing glory to God. It means the believer is unashamed and passionate about a pursuit of God's glorious work in his or her life and in the life of others around us. So what does it mean then to live in a manner worthy of the Lord? Well, it means simply to live a godly life. And it's not boring as some may think it would be boring. But the question is, why is it that we as believers often fail in living a godly life? Why do we often find ourselves struggling with this tension between living a godly life and and, and succumbing to the temptations that we walk through? I think it's because we're all too often satisfied with the temporal pleasures of this world. And we stop short of knowing the true joy of living the spirit-filled, abundant life that is only found in Christ. But if we would try to grasp what Paul is saying, or if we would truly grasp what Paul is saying here, we wouldn't be so content with the trappings of this world. And we wouldn't be so content with our own 
bondage to sin, we would more readily follow and and walk in the will of God and what we know to be his will. And so secondly, righteous living seeks to please God in all respects. Righteous living means living according to God's known will, and righteous living seeks to please God in all respects. Verse 10 continues, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects. Well, that means in everything, right? All qualifies or quantifies that it means everything. All respects of life, the desire of the believer ought to be to please the Lord God. I remember as a young child, I wanted nothing more than to please my father. In fact, I wanted to please my father greatly and deeply. And so I I would do whatever I could to please my dad. And I think that's the case for many young children. They, They want, they desire so much to please their fathers, their mothers, their parents. And I remember it so vividly from my own youth. I I wanted to please my father so much that I worked diligently. I worked very diligently in order to do so. My favorite sport growing up was was baseball. And my my dad always coached me. He would send me in the summer to Skip Bertman baseball camps here in LSU. And then in in, in Thanksgiving time, he'd send me again to a Thanksgiving ball camp. And my dad had, had... coached me since I was young and I I remember though one specific season where my dad allowed me to play or put me on the team of of a guy named Robbie Lottinger and and Robbie was a young man that my dad had coached as as Robbie was growing up and so I I don't know what possessed my dad to do that but but he did he put me on this other team it was it was during that 11 and 12 year old season that that I hit my first home run I remember the feeling it was it was it was amazing as I, as I swung and hit the ball, it went over center field fence. It bounced off the field house shed. Man, I was excited. I was, I, was, I was on top of the world. And as I rounded third base, uh, heading toward home, I looked up, and in my line of sight across the fence, on the other side there stood my dad. And he looked at me, and he had this big smile on his face, and he gave me two thumbs up as if to say, well done, son, well done, great job. You know, I desired so deeply to please him. And in that moment... I felt as though I had, I had truly pleased my father. And in that moment, th- there was this reciprocal joy, right? I mean, he was happy for me, though I'm sure it broke his heart a little bit because I, I wasn't on his team. Uh, but he was happy for me. He was joyful for me as his son. But, but also for me as a son, man, I was, I was joyful. All this investment that my dad had placed in me. And to think that I had... You know, all this time of hard work and discipline had paid off and kind of culminated in this moment where, where there's this reciprocal joy that we shared. He, he felt joy for me, and I felt joy for him because I had, I had pleased him. All that instruction and hard work had manifested in that moment of sheer joy. I want you to pay attention. I, I, think, I think it's the same way with our Heavenly Father When we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, there's a reciprocal joy that we experience in the relationship with Him that's unlike any other joy. We know, even if no one else knows, we know that we have have pleased our Father, and it doesn't matter that no one else knows. We know, and He knows, and He says, Well done, son. Well done, daughter. 
when we're walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Because of this pursuit and desire to live and to please him, our lives become tools used by God to accomplish his eternal work, both internally and externally. This is the the, the bearing of fruit in every good work that Paul speaks about here in verse 10. So that you please him and walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and and that you would bear fruit in every, every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work internally in that we're, we're conforming to greater Christ-likeness and we're being fitted for the kingdom of God. And greater conformity to His likeness comes, and with it comes greater certainty and joy in knowing and accomplishing His will externally. It, it, it happens externally in that God uses Uh, He uses us and He uses our gifts that He has entrusted to us to impact the lives of others, of of family, of friends, of strangers, of brothers and sisters in Christ, of those who who are vulnerable in society. He uses us in such a way to impact the lives of others. You see, in our own lives, God is about conforming us to Christ's likeness and He is about fitting us to the kingdom of heaven well, thirdly, I, I want us to see that righteous living seeks to know God increasingly. Righteous living means living according to God's known will. Righteous living seeks to, uh, seeks to trust in God. It seeks to please God in all respects. And righteous living seeks to, to know God increasingly. Look at what he says at the end of verse 10. And increasing in the knowledge of God. You know, this comes through through cultivating a, a heart that loves God and loves His Word. How do we grow in respect to knowing God? Well, we grow through His Word. And, and there are going to be seasons. Let me, let me tell you, even if you, you take this challenge for 2014 to, to read through the Bible in a year, there, there are going to be seasons that, that you come to God's Word with such vigor and excitement because it, it seems as though... Every page you turn, every verse you read, that God is showing you new things about, about Him and about His, uh, His desire for you. And, and there's going to be a tremendous amount of growth personally and spiritually in your life. But then there's going to be difficult times as well. They won't always be easy. There, there's going to be seasons where there are the, you're walking through a valley and you're not on the peak or, or the mountaintop. And you'll find yourself struggling to submit to God's Word. And you don't want to submit your life under the microscope of God's Word because you know that when you do, it means, it means death to self-exaltation. And it means an embracing of God-exaltation. And you know the two are mutually exclusive. And so there'll be days when you don't want to exercise in the discipline of, of reading God's Word or spending time in, in prayer or meditating on the truth of His Word. And I would admit that it would be easier for us to live in ignorant bliss and just kind of coast, right? Coast where we are. But God desires that we would live holy and righteous lives. Righteous living seeks to know God increasingly. It's what we are, what we are called to do. It's what He has called us to do. You know, to return to my, my quite simple illustration, I, I remember days when it would, it would take discipline to practice as you can imagine, I, I wasn't always so enthusiastic, uh, enthusiastic about 
uh, about working and, and being disciplined to hone skills or to sharpen skills to, to play the game of baseball. But like any other discipline, those days of drudgery gave way to great freedom and ability to exercise and to, to play and to use my gifts with great freedom. And through those disciplined days, I, I grew in ability. And in time, the practice fueled my passion and love and enjoyment for the game. Hear what Paul is saying. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is to live righteously with a desire to please our Heavenly Father. And as we do, we'll, we'll bear fruit in every good work because we are growing into Christ's likeness, increasing in the knowledge of God. And there's great joy and great security in knowing God and walking in a worthy manner. You know, this is one of the foundational ways that, that we as believers grow in our faith is through the Word of God. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 2.2, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that you may grow in respect to salvation. You know, this is really the heartbeat of, of what the Lord would have us to hear this morning. That daily we would, we would desire to, to please the Lord. Daily we would seek to walk in a manner worthy of Him. Daily we would grow in our knowledge of Him to live according to His will. But lest any of this sound like we would do this in our own strength or pulling up of our own bootstraps in order to walk and to accomplish this disciplined life, let me, let me suggest to you that that is not the case. There is a matter of discipline that we have to implement in our own lives. But I want you to hear what God's Word says, that, that God will strengthen us in order to accomplish this work, in order to live for His glory. God will strengthen us in order to do this. And so that brings us to our final point this morning, that righteous living depends on His glorious might. In verse 11, look at what he says. Strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. For the attaining of all steadfastness, our endurance, and patience joyously. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Paul knows every believer walks through intense battles in the flesh which wage war against our spirit. He knows of the difficult days that come when, when we're walking with Christ and walking according to the knowledge of his will. And the goal of our strengthening and endurance through tri- is endurance through trials. But what are we to understand about this strengthening that Paul speaks of? Well, it has to do with this continual empowerment so that as the trial or the battle increases with intensity, so does the supplied power of God through the Holy Spirit which indwells the believer. You see, as we walk through trials or temptations and we're tempted to walk away or to pull away. It is the increasing strength and power of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives to keep us and to strengthen us to withstand and to flee from temptation. This isn't the picture of some small burst of energy, like a, maybe like a firework that goes up and, and explodes. This Instead, it, it's the picture of, of continual 
strengthening, of continual supplied power of God through His Holy Spirit. It's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives to accomplish spiritual victory and to keep us until the day of salvation. It's the very power that raised Christ from the dead and secured our redemption. It's the very power that keeps us standing firm in our faith and granting us the ability to flee temptation so that we'll carry out His will. It's the power that gloriously defeated sin and death in Colossians 2.15. And it's this power of His glorious might which refers to the strength of God in action on behalf of His children. This is the limitless power of God available to the believer to overcome temptation and to live for Him. It's the power of the ever-interceding Lord of all creation who intercedes on our behalf before the throne of God above. This is the power of Christ to keep us for salvation and ultimately keep us from the kingdom of darkness. And here's how it happens. It comes through knowing God and knowing His Word. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness for those 40 days, His default answer was what? Quote the Word of God. Turn that stone into bread. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, quoting from Deuteronomy and the law. Throw yourself off and angels will come and they'll save you. It's written, man shall not test the Lord thy God. He quotes scripture. He quotes the word. Believers, we ought to be the same way when it comes to living and fleeing from temptation, living according to the will of God. We must know God's word. The power at work in the believer's life teaches us then to endure. Here's why. Because it invites us to look past the temporal struggles and trials that we walk through. And it invites us to to come and rest in the glorious hope of God's sovereign will, of knowing His will. There is a security and a joy in knowing and walking in the will of God, in walking according to the manner that's worthy of the Lord. You see, the knowledge of God's purpose and will in our lives gives us endurance to look past these temporal sufferings and to remain singularly focused upon the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Endurance and patience, they go together. For they they teach us to love the work of God and to love the people of God. When we're dependent on His glorious might, we'll be strengthened to live through any trial, to walk and to be faithful through any trial because we know that He is accomplishing His will through our lives. And finally, look at the countenance of the believer at the end of that verse. How is that to happen? It's to happen joyously, right? It's to happen joyously. There's great joy in living according to the will of the Father. The joy of the believer is not dependent, get this, it's not dependent on circumstances of this life, but on the knowledge of the sovereign God who controls all things. That is what our joy is dependent on, believer. 
And so Paul can say that we would be strengthened. His prayer is that we would live in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened for all power according to the work of His glorious might and attaining steadfastness and patience joyously. I want to ask you this morning, believer, as we move into this new year, Would you be willing to say to the Lord, God, I want to make it. I want to make it my goal, my desire to live in a way that I walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I want to live righteously for your glory, for your namesake this year. I want to look more like you at the end of 2014 than I do at the end of 2013. I want to be open and sensitive to what you want to do in and through my life. I want to be faithful and and be found committed. I want, when others look at me, I want them to look straight to you because of what you're doing in and through me. And I want to live joyously. I don't want to live defeated and, and in sin because I can't overcome, because I'm not dependent upon your power. So let me ask you this morning, believer, are you are you being filled with the knowledge of his will? Are you seeking to know God increasingly through reading and praying, meditating upon His Word? Are you dependent on God for strength to do this? Because you can't do it in your own, on your own strength. I want to challenge us this morning to, to think about these things. And, and as we consider 2013 ending and 2014 beginning, I, I really want to challenge you to, to take a spiritual inventory. Take a spiritual inventory and ask God to to show you those things that you you need to commit to him and entrust to him. I want to close this in prayer and ask you to respond this morning as the Lord is leading you. Maybe you you want to come and kneel down at the steps and say, you know, I'm I'm committing this to the Lord. Maybe maybe you want to um, to come and just surrender yourself to the Lord this morning. Maybe there's some areas in your life where you have been struggling and you say, you know, God, I, I really need, I need your strength. I need your power. Let us pray. Father, as we come this morning, we come confessing that we have great, we have a great need for you and for your work in our lives. Lord, we want to live righteously. We want to live in a manner that's worthy of you. And we want to depend upon you for your strength, God. So I pray, would you strengthen us? Would you strengthen us to live for your glory? Strengthen us, Lord, to, to be disciplined even, to, to know you and to, to know you increasingly so that we might, we might be a light to others. Lord, so that we might be faithful stewards of all that you've entrusted to us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning?